0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Bestseller TV. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. We're here with John T. Hewitt. He's the author of I Compete, How My Extraordinary Strategy for Winning Can Be Yours. It's great to have you with us.
1: Thank you. It's a great pleasure.
0: I should say an honor. I mean, people may know you from Jackson Hewitt, Liberty Tax Service. These are household tax service names. Um, right off the bat, I do want to mention you have two of the top uh, retail chains in the country.
1: Yeah, I'm the only one that's founded two of the top 100 retail chains in the United States.
0: Wow, that's got to feel good. <laughs> yeah, amazing, lucky. Are your secrets in the book? Yes. That's what everybody wants yes, to know. Exactly. Okay. I'm always curious, you know, you're a successful guy. This is your first book, very successful guy. Why did you feel the need to write a book? I mean, you're doing pretty well.
1: <laughs> I'm a little bit different in a number of ways. And yeah. I think one of my peculiarities is I like to change people and, and make them better. Uh-huh. So it's just an effort to pass it forward and improve our lives.
0: Yeah, I mean, as I was reading the book, it's really refreshing because you really, you are a guy who likes to give back, uh, which is I think really special in today's day and age. And obviously you have have a success and a recipe for winning. um, And some people would be pretty content with that, but it's nice that you'd like other people to win as well. I did note that you were a veteran of 47 tax seasons.
1: (laughs) Yep, actually I wrote the book after 47 years and now it's 50.
0: Wow. So,
1: so I'm uh, a half a century. Wow. Who's counting? <laughs> and I, I think of myself as the granddaddy of tax preparation. Yeah. Put that into words.
0: What, is, what does that mean to
1: you? That means that I'm the elder statesman. There's no one that's ever been as experienced as I have. There's three national tax companies. There's H&R Block and Jackson Hewitt and Liberty. Yeah. I worked my first 12 years in the industry with H&R Block right. as a leader there. Then I went out and I founded Jackson Hewitt Tax Service. And and uh, the, my my last adventure was Liberty tax. And now I'm I'm developing a a new firm, a a Hispanic tax firm.
0: I'm curious, how did you get so fanatical about taxes?
1: I was, I was blessed that when I went to University of Buffalo, I was, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was going to be a mathematician and I don't know what I would have done as a mathematician. I knew I was gonna I knew I was gonna be successful, I felt it, but I didn't know how that would happen. And my dad was a frustrated entrepreneur. I was born when he was a freshman at Michigan State, and he had three wow. children before he graduated. And three so, children
0: before he graduated? Right. Wow. So
1: he wanted to be an entrepreneur, but he couldn't afford to. He had to raise a family. But by the time I was twenty, he decided that that he was an accountant, that we should buy an H&R Block franchise. So we called up H&R Block and said, we'd like to open a franchise. They said, well, we're gonna open a company store there in that town. Uh, Why don't you have your son take our tax course and maybe he could work for us? I took the tax course, most interesting course I'd ever taken. Wow. Loved it. And uh, 50 years later, here I am.
0: Here you are. I feel like it's not often I or anyone talks to someone who says it was the most a tax course was the most interesting course they'd ever taken. So it really resonated with you. I feel like it's in your DNA. So obviously, if, you, if your dad comes from that background, what did you love about taxes so much? What was it about it that that spoke to you and you said this is it for me?
1: Uh, I guess there's a few things that that um, were, were appealing. Uh, number one, it was helping people and change. I mean, people not only yeah. saving them money, but but giving them peace of mind. Number two, it was uh, back then, they didn't, not only didn't they have computers, they didn't have calculators. And I'm very, very wow. good at math. So yeah. the, there's a lot of math in doing a tax return. Okay. So that, that appealed to me.
0: You mentioned something earlier, John, you said you knew you were going to be successful. You were good at math. How did you know that? I mean, that, that's an interesting thing to, to sort of
1: envision. You know, I, I heard someone on the radio about 10 years ago talking about a chapter in her book. It was called the age of bliss. Mm-hmm. And, and what she said is that children about seven, eight, nine years old, they lose their, their age of bliss, that they're beat down by their parents, their, their enemies, their friends. You can't do that. You can't do that. Right. You're never going to be president of the United States. You're never going to be super Superman. You're never going to be. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I, I had an epiphany that they had never beat me down that I've never went into that. I've never fallen out of the age of bliss. Who never beat you down? Anyone, anyway, okay. my, my teachers, my my friends, my enemies, my parents, no one ever was able to to take me out of that age of bliss. Interesting. So I've lived a life of a complete, uh, I have a, a um, just a very, very positive view of the future.
0: Wow, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that because my line of work going into broadcast journalism Countless people would say, "Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that." So it's it's absolutely true. I think it depends on um, you know what you want to go into. But I wonder if you would have experienced that somebody saying you can't do that. Do you think that
1: would have affected you? I mean, there's no way of
0: knowing, but.
1: Well, well, people do that all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have many naysayers that mm-hmm. even today say I can't do what I'm going to do.
0: But I'm saying as a child, if if you, if that, oh, was, that happened all the time. Yeah. Sure. I,
1: was, I mean, I, my philosophy is everyone tries to bring you back to average. Mm-hmm. No one wants you to... Don't get out of the box. Don't do it different. I mean, right. you need to stay in this path, be safe and be careful. And mm-hmm. there's always those naysayers. Right. And to me... The, I'm driven by two things. One is the people that believe in me and support me, but almost as much by the people that tell me I can't do it. Right. I have to prove them wrong. The pain of defeat is way worse than even the joy of victory. Right. The, I mean, the joy of victory is wonderful, yeah. but the pain of defeat is way worse than, than on a scale of uh, just uh, and how important it is to me.
0: Yeah, I'm curious, in your 50 years of tax experience, how has the industry changed? Has it changed much, I mean, or is it pretty cut and dry?
1: I think there's been uh, some major changes obviously. Computerization has changed a lot. You know, when we tried to sell our software, my dad and I invented the first software for an Apple computer in 1981. And when we tried to sell the software to HR Block, which even then was a Fortune 500 company and a very, very successful company, they they had been testing with IBM and Texas Instruments. And they said in an annual report in 1983, they wrote, People asked us why we don't computerize. We said, why should we? It doesn't save us any money. Customers don't care. We're never going to computerize. Okay. So that's how visionary the world was in 1983. So right. the advent of computers, we just embedded our system within computerization and it enabled us to to grow the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing franchisors of all time.
0: Yeah, and speaking of franchises, how many, you mentioned off camera, you've sold 5,000?
1: i brought in 5,000 new franchisees. Wow. So that's 5,000 more than 5,000 families because some of them are partners So I've changed the lives of, of hundreds of thousands of people
0: Wow. I mean when you look at your success I know it's a cliche question, but what do you think you're doing differently?
1: Well, I guess it's in this this story when at each year we have a convention mm-hmm. at our convention even with my experience we break into groups and say tell us how to improve our advertising tell us how to improve our technical support tell us how to improve our tax support right. tell, and so we break into a uh, dozens of different groups and say tell us how to improve and i as ceo in front of 2,500 people i'll go into a group and say tell us how to improve yeah. and we write every idea down and at then then after that we meet with our franchisees and executives Mm -hmm. and say what are we going to change this year what are we going to change in the future what are we never going to change and we then we republish that to the field the 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 opposite of that is that you just go and preach to franchisees the average ceo in this industry has two years experience and i have 50. so the others they preach to the franchisees and they don't listen to them. After fifty years, I'm still listening to, to the customers, yeah. and they're not listening to their customers.
0: Well, right. I think it just comes down to complacency when you when you reach a certain level of success. Oh, I've got a down pat. Don't fix it if it's not broken. But what you just said is everything. You have to listen. Which what can we change? What can we improve upon? Because especially now in this digital world we live in, things are changing moment to moment. Things have probably changed in the last five minutes since I started speaking to you. That's so.
1: that's a great point to to be the best. At your your business, you have to have the best system. To have the best system, it has to be improving. Mm -hmm. And that's not widely believed or understood that you have to continue to improve your system if you're going to have the best system. C-Suite Radio.
0: Do you find yourself caught by surprise when you have these conventions and say, what can we improve? What can we change? Do you, a CEO, who obviously, you know, your your breadth of experience says it all, but do you find yourself saying, wow, that's, I didn't know that. Or, well, that's interesting. That's going to change the face of taxes. I mean, do you experience that a lot?
1: I think the only wows are the... An occasional disappointment at at some activity in our company that that, okay. that I didn't hadn't seen or expected. All right. um, there's not many wows after doing this for fifty straight years. Okay. There's there's new tweaks and new twists and okay. nuances. But the, the the biggest surprises are generally disappointments in in how we didn't live up to my expectations.
0: Okay. What about the tax code with a new presidency? Obviously what we're experiencing now, how, how does that affect your business and your franchisees?
1: Well, in 50 years of doing taxes, it's been different for 50 straight years. Mm. So uh, I, I say, thank you, Congress. Thank you, president. Thank you. IRS. Thank you, tax courts. It's always ever changing. And, and that's, Keeps a bi- toes. <laughs> th- that's a big reason that drives people to pay a prepare.
0: So when you sit down to write a book like this, John, with 50 years of experience, I'm curious about your process. How did you start? How did you decide what to include, what not to include? How does it work?
1: I wanted to include the journey Mm -hmm. of, uh, I want to include the mistakes because I read recently that people with my experience have made more mistakes than people at your age have even tried. So I made more mistakes than you even invented things. Mm -hmm. So so I think that the key to success is making less mistakes. And there's a lot more things you can do wrong than do right. There's some very basic principles in there of, of mistakes to avoid. They say smart people learn from their mistakes, wise people learn from the mistakes of others. So I'm trying to get people to not make the same mistakes that I have.
0: So you're trying to get people to learn from your mistakes? Exactly. Okay, I like that. So can you share one or two? What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned that you want to impart onto the readers?
1: I think that um, being being properly financed is is important. Mm-hmm. You know, at, um, at Jackson Hewitt, the, the first public company I started, a couple of times we went almost went bankrupt mm-hmm. because I was um, trying to build my stock price and so not putting, not um, having enough money in the bank and, and being too risky. Okay. That, that was one of the things. We almost went bankrupt a couple of times. Okay. Wow. I think that you have to make sure that the controlling um, the board of directors has, has proper controls, the, pro- the proper team is in place, mm-hmm. proper people. I think the number one thing that's really propelled me and one of the, one of the top three for sure is that, that we hire for attitude versus skill.
0: You right. hire for attitude versus right. skill.
1: Tom Watson, Sr., the founder of IBM, said, give me 100 engineers, great engineers, and give me 100 people with great attitude. I'll take the people with great attitude because I can teach engineering, I can't teach attitude. So the biggest lesson I've learned, one of the biggest lessons is, is that I can't change people's attitudes. I've tried hundreds of people hmm. and you can't change their attitudes. So when we hire, we hire for attitude. Gotcha. And if we're wrong, right. we move pretty quickly to move them up.
0: Huh? So how do you find good people? I mean, your years of experience when you started, obviously you said you had you know, some mistakes along the way, you almost went bankrupt, stocks versus financing. But I'd imagine, you know, now you can say it in that, in that succinct thought, you know, attitude uh, is what you hire versus skills. But looking back, how did you find the right attitude? How did you find the right people? How, well, how did you go about doing it?
1: The, the great thing is at, when you're in business for the, as long as I have, people are coming to me from all over the country. Well, now they are, but right. I'm saying when you started. Yeah, it wasn't top of mind back in when I first started in 1982. It wasn't top of mind. I didn't really... Learn that that until about 1990, it came to me. I, I wondered why are, I consider Walmart very successful and Kmart very unsuccessful. And I said, Well, what's the difference between the, the top leaders at Walmart and what's the difference at top leaders at Kmart? Are they smarter? Yeah. Are they more educated? are they more experienced and i said no they you can hire the smartest person you can hire the most experienced you can hire the most educated so what's the difference between those two groups of people and it came to me that it was it was attitude and culture so the culture is a asset. Most, most people don't understand that, that culture is an asset. And, Uh and so we began to manage towards culture.
0: Have you ever had John in your experience? though, people with great attitudes and you said you can teach skills, but were there people who had, who possessed great attitudes, but just couldn't pick up on the skills. And what do you do in that situation? Love their attitude, but they just can't perform the work. What do you do then?
1: Well, there's, there's always a place for a person with a great attitude. Only problem comes when they're at, their skill set isn't high enough to make as much money as they want to make.
0: Yeah, there was a quote that struck me, which I thought was very interesting. Um, you said, I have this crazy, almost compulsive desire to improve everyone I meet. I found that the only way to do that is to be annoying. Because if you don't get people out of their comfort zone, they don't change. So you think the key to your success, one of the tenets of your success has been to be annoying? Absolutely. Specifically that word.
1: Well, absolutely. I think if... Um,
0: I find it to be quite lovely, not annoying at all.
1: Well, I think that um, I can, but, but at some point, if, if you and I had a conversation for an hour or two or three hours and, and I would feel compelled to give you advice and my advice isn't going to, it may rub you wrong, right? And so I, I feel compelled to change people so much that, that it drives me to be annoying, yes.
0: Have people called you annoying to your face? Of course. Huh? And you like that?
1: I don't mind that at all. The only way you can really insult me is if you say, you know, I know someone just like you, you're average, you're typical or I mean, I want to be unique and, uh-huh. and that's one of my unique characteristics. Yeah. I'm, I pride myself in being brutally frank.
0: Right. So you'd rather be annoying than
1: average. I don't, I don't, I don't if I see a way that I think you can improve, I feel compelled to, yeah. to uh, say
0: it. Right. That's great, but I, clearly, you know, it's, it's, got, it's gotten you far. Curious, last question for you, John. I Compete, the title. You, there, there's no mention of taxes at all in this book, which is what you're known for. So obviously that was a conscious decision.
1: You know, in Made in America by Sam Walton, in the foreword, he says, people ask me what's different about me? I'm a vicious competitor. I mean, when I, w- I met with a girl uh, at a uh, when I was traveling in Tampa a couple of weeks ago, who I hadn't seen since she was about eight years old. Her father brought her in, brought her chess set in, and 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 she played chess against me. Well, she still remembers that incident, but there's no way I would let her win against me. So whether it's whoever I'm playing, whatever I'm doing, whether we're even discussion, we're discussing yesterday, we're discussing who said, give me liberty or give me death"? Mm-hmm. right? I mean, just in discussions in card playing, I'm a life master bridge player, life master chess player. I, I live to compete.
0: And I feel like if you're going to read, you know, about taxes, about a successful business, you want to be reading it from someone like you who's, um, who has a tax empire, really, but just so much of the book is about giving back, which I said earlier, is just so refreshing. So congratulations, and I heard a rumor, is there a book number two on the way?
1: Yes, it's in my mind. This just has to put it on paper now.
0: Okay, can you give us a sneak peek?
1: Well, actually, this book is mostly about Jackson Hewitt and a little bit about Liberty. Right. So the next book is about finishing my journey at Liberty and starting my next venture, which is Loyalty Brands, which we have seven companies starting at once.
0: Wonderful. We wish you all all the success in the world with that, Um, and we look forward to the next book.
1: Thank you. It's a great pleasure. Thanks
0: for being here. If you'd like more information on the book, just check out our website, c c-sweetbookclub.com. I'm Tyron Winterbrill. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time right here on Best Seller TV.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c sweetradio.com.